0: Hey, this is your host Vitaly Golov. This bonus episode of Accelerated is a rebroadcast of a live East Meets West event I moderated earlier in August. It was put on by Digitimes Asia and Anchor Taiwan. I interviewed my friend and a good friend of the podcast, Monica Mikatz, the Chief Business Officer of QEB Tech, and a member of the founding team of Rimac Automobili, maker of the now officially quickest production car in the world. If you haven't already, you should check out the episode we did with Monica one-on-one earlier in the season. The other guest is none other than automotive industry pioneer Jack Chang. He spent over 19 years at Ford, where he became vice president of its China operations, and then served as chairman and CEO of Magneti Morelli Asia-Pacific, and a chairman of Fiat and Fiat. Finance China. He left to co-found Neo and then XPT, the provider of advanced technology components and solutions which are the brain, heart, and soul of Neo vehicles. In September of 2018, Neo began trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Today, it has a market cap of $74 billion. In January of this year, Foxconn was able to convince Jack to come back to Taiwan to head up its MIH Alliance, an open EV ecosystem that promotes collaboration in the mobility industry. He covered a lot of ground on EV, autonomy, manufacturing supply chains, and much, much Here's my conversation with Jack and Monica. Welcome, Monica and Jack, and we'll jump right in. I'd like to ask you both, how did you get started in the automotive industry? Maybe Monica first.
1: So my journey in the automotive industry started uh, back in 2010 uh, when I met Mata Rimac, and he was just a crazy kid, you know, who wanted to develop the world's fastest electric supercar. Um, I worked before, uh, as a journalist actually, and didn't know anything about the automotive industry, but I really liked his idea and I liked his spirit. So I decided to join the team and basically all of us were, you know, jumping without a parachute and trying to build it on our way. Uh, and company, uh, of course, had uh, ups and downs, but at the end developed in the big automotive player. Um, At the moment when I realized, you know, okay, Porsche came in, uh, company is just going to get bigger, it was time for me for new challenges, and that's when I joined QEV to become a chief business officer. So now it's been uh, more than 10 years in the automotive industry for me.
0: And Jack, I gave a quick intro, but uh, you, you have a tremendous history. How did you get interested in the in the industry in the first place?
2: Thank you, uh, thank you, Vitaly. Hi, um, good morning and good evening, everybody around the world. Um, uh, I have an honor to be here with you guys. Um, firstly, uh, I would like to introduce myself. Uh, I was a veteran of the automotive since uh, 1980s. So we have. Uh, a lot to do with uh, also a passion for the uh, mobility world. So since 1980s, I was with Ford, and then uh, after uh, several decades, I being been uh, retired from Ford, and I joined via Chrysler under the introduction of uh, uh, Sergio Marchionne, who is the FCA's uh, chairman um, before. I have a pleasure to work with a lot of people in the world, around the world. So uh, I still have my mobility uh, passion to go forward. So in uh, just five, six years ago, I founded the NEO together with my partner. Uh, we had a lot to talk about in the EV world. So that's, I think, the purpose of today. And also, I was lucky enough uh, last year, I'll get invited by FASCON to be back in Taiwan to my to be my hometown. So I really have that kind of a sensation and also passion to move this new mobility world together with you guys. So it's nice to be here with you. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jack. So why don't we uh, pick it up where where you just left it off Uh, What what attracted you and inspired you to come back to Taiwan to step into the CEO role of the
2: MIH alliance? Well, firstly, uh, Vitaly, it's it's all about uh, coming back home uh, where you see Taiwan is a beautiful island. As you know, you have two kids also from Taiwan. Uh, We love this island and we want to put our passion into it. Particular in the the new generation. How do we inspire the new generation to be more mobility oriented? Um, There's a lot of people now uh, under this new situation of the worldwide pandemic. They need to mobilize themselves. And I do believe with our EV concept and also our open platform concept, we can get a lot of talent, to be able to jump into it and develop together with us to create a better world for our next generation. So that's all about coming back home.
0: Not a bad thing to do. Uh, Monica, you're now Chief Business Officer at QEV. Uh, It's not a title that every company has. Uh, What does a Chief Business Officer do on a daily basis? And considering your business is very global, how do you find a common language with all of your global
1: customers and partners? So in every startup, um, I would say that even if you hold a certain role, you need to wear many different hats. So of course, in QEV Technologies, uh, we are 130 people. Uh, for the automotive industry, that's really a startup. And uh, I need to do whatever is necessary for the company to succeed. But as a chief business officer, my main role is um, to coordinate with existing shareholders uh, to do all of the fundraising and all of the relationship with investors and also to do all of the business development for the company and as you mentioned uh, I frequently work on different continents uh, from our clients and partners in Asia to our clients and partners in America So I had to learn uh, beside, you know, working late hours or early morning hours or in the middle of the night, like I'm doing right now. um, I had to also balance different cultures, learn a lot of different customs, um, adapt to that. And I always like to say that you actually work with people, not with companies. So that's my um, uh, key uh, key mission, you know, to think in my head and always trying to, to balance and learn uh, how to work with the different cultures. Uh, and uh, definitely it would help out uh, if I know Chinese. I think that uh, would make me a billionaire probably. <laughs> But I didn't start to learn it at the proper age, so it's really hard for me.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll let you borrow my, my daughter. She's fluent and um and she can be a translator. And and I know you're gonna teach your daughter probably uh, Mandarin as well. Definitely. <laughs> so um so we, so the automotive industry went through a couple of shocks in the last uh year and a half or so. First the pandemic shut down the automotive industry completely and um and now we're getting some side effects of that, and we experience disruptive supply chains, delays in various important components. what will it take for us to get back on track and recover as an industry
2: Jack, maybe maybe you first sure sure I, I think that uh, uh, the whole pandemic hit is really happening for the last uh almost two years now, uh, we are experiencing a lot of issue. particularly we are all locked down at home. So there's no, not too much of a mobility activity that you can do. So I would believe uh, to recover from a new angle, if we are moving uh, the so-called lockdown uh, environment into the car, isn't it a better approach that uh, people can be actually counting the quarantine time as part of their 14 days or 21 days? Uh, when they are tired of being locked down for seven days, they can go into their car and then give it a drive. Um, you know, it's still being counted as a part of your uh, quarantine period. That, isn't that wonderful? So I, I, I believe there's a lot of things that we can do after the pandemic, to make the mobility world more livable or even more uh, agile for people who are interested in doing this, uh, particularly in the digital health period, uh, you go into the car, you get uh, your your heartbeat, your pressure, and everything from the sensor, and then you make that environment as part of your uh, digital health environment. So. I think there's a lot of things that we can do and then we can recover from that angle. What about that, uh, you think, uh, Monica? Uh,
1: I completely agree with you. Uh, And I also think that uh, we are not going to recover in a sense that we are going to come back to the same as it was before. So definitely we are going to experience a lot of different changes and we all have to adapt for what is waiting for us because uh, most of the time we were expecting you know this is going to pass in a couple of months this is going to pass but uh, it will last much longer than we are expecting and we need need to learn uh, how to live uh, with a new situation, how to work online, how to have conferences online, um, and as you said, uh, maybe even having conferences in the future in our vehicles, in our cars. So reshaping totally.
0: Now, one possible positive effect of the uh, pandemic-related manufacturing shutdowns has been a big jump in EV market share because as all the supply chains are coming back, they're certainly not going to be building for the past and EV is uh, electric vehicles are very much obvious and the brainer now. Now, are we finally at the tipping point of electric vehicles? How do we get uh, beyond just the 5% of sales? That seems like a big jump up to this point, but we have a long ways to go. What needs to happen?
2: Well, uh, let me go first. Uh, This is uh, uh, early stage of the EV scale up, mainly because it's driven by the regulation and also incentive at the moment, um, you know, there's a new announcement that uh, from US side also to get the EV going. Um, But uh, I firmly believe once you have the EV experience, uh, you're not going back to the combustion engine. That's, uh, it's a different world because uh, uh, not only from the environmental point of view, but also from the user experience point of view, there's a lot of things that you can really touch and feel, and then EV, if it become a smart EV, a smart mobility, then it's a totally different world. So I think that the experience that can get all the uh, customer is a one-way street. They never come back to the combustion. So that's something that I think uh, uh, If you ask me whether there's a hockey stick point that I wouldn't say uh, an exact year, but at least three, four years time when the combustion engines, the fuel consumption, uh, and also the operating cost is really um, more than the uh, EV, then there will be a tipping point there.
1: I also think it's, it's actually... I think it's really a perfect moment uh, for the shift to happen, because uh, people were not spending too much, people were not moving, and people really want to buy new cars, uh, move forward, and it's a right moment to give it a push for electric vehicles. Um, Considering Croatia, where I'm coming from, Uh, it's a small country and uh, the car sales dropped heavily in 2020. Basically, you know, nobody was selling cars because nobody was moving anywhere and nobody thought about buying car. And uh, now in 2021 beginning, uh, government uh, gave 14 million euros of subsidies for electric cars. In two days, uh people applied and got you know all of the sub- subsidies that were possible to buy cars so in in basically two days you had uh, higher car sales and electric car sales than you had it in the 2020 uh So, I think that this is really a moment where all of the uh, players in the EV industry should use it and should push people to buy electric cars, because people want to try new cars, people want to go to some events, people want to have different experiences, and people want to spend money that was um, waiting on the side and, you know, they, they couldn't go anywhere and couldn't spend.
0: Now, there there have been two factors that have driven statistically uh, EV adoption more than anything up to, to this point. One is government regulations. The other is government incentives. Uh, what programs have you seen uh, that have been effective, and what would you like to see more of? And how much of an impact will the U.S. infrastructure bill make, do you think, in the U.S.?
2: Well, five years ago, when we just started from China, there were... Uh... Uh, you know, just uh, start with the uh, incentive, and also the regulation is now moving toward uh, uh, supporting the EV. But it's uh, on a gradual uh, basis. But uh, for now, uh, if you just see what Joe Biden's uh, announcement on the uh, uh, incentivizing all the EV industry to go forward with 174 billion dollars of uh, bill. That's something uh, huge because now the big uh, conglomerates are competing uh, from China and US, now in Europe. Everybody is trying to do something differently. So I believe that um, from that sense that uh, we have a chance to uh, move forward because there's a lot of things that uh, all the, uh, the the regulation do is just uh, sparkling all this. And later on, the consumer was gonna do something about, you know, with all this incentive. Incentive, they will be moving to uh, user experience, user interface, and also gaining that experience and creating the pie bigger. And once that pie is bigger, you know, we, I, when I was in automotive industry, I, we always say product, product, product is something that drive the whole the whole uh, requirement. So I believe that there's a lot of things that we can do to make sure that uh, the increase of the EV and then spread into the whole bunch of a smart mobility world.
1: For me, the perfect example how to do it is actually Norway. Uh, and uh, if you look at the Norway, in 2020, EV sales of light vehicles uh, was 54%, uh, while in U.S., that number was only 2%. So there is a huge difference for the U.S. to catch up with all of the efforts that, for example, Norway was doing. And in Norway, uh, at the moment, you could say that EVs are already mainstream. And I think they've really combined well um, all of the regulations, having in mind that uh, until 2025, uh, they want all of the cars uh, that are going to be sold to be either electric or hydrogen. Uh, and also all of the incentives they have. So basically, their tax system allows you, you know, um, if you're going to buy uh, some really um, um, some basic Ferrari, uh, it would probably be so expensive that even if you're buying uh, electric hypercar, that would be cheaper for you than buying some regular Ferrari. Uh, and also this tax system um, makes it really easy calculation for you. Uh, the e-golf, it's going to be cheaper than the regular golf for you. So I think those are the the things that all of the governments should look, um, basically do the the copy-paste of what Norway is doing and push people for it.
0: Yeah, it's really about bringing that cost of battery uh, to under $100 per kilowatt hour and getting the cost of the EVs below uh, below the cost of the internal combustion vehicles, and then of course uh, the government doing their part with incentives uh, to 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 push the scales of the economic scales a little bit before that. I'm really excited to share something a long time in the making with you. My first online course. Over the years, I've trained thousands of founders through my book Accelerated Startup and my infamous Pitching Like a Boss workshops and keynotes. Like I've done for thousands of founders, I will teach you how to pitch like a boss. And for the first time ever, I will be doing it in a cohort-based online course. This is the world's most comprehensive and intensive course for entrepreneurs and future founders on pitching. It will help you craft the perfect pitch for investors and customers. It will also help you master public speaking, get funded, communicate your vision to grow your team and dramatically improve sales of any product. Check out golem.net slash pitching that's golom bnet slash pitching for more information. See you there. Now, um, Monica, QV has chosen to focus its efforts in large part on electric buses. Talk about the market in developing and developed countries and the impact electric public transportation will make.
1: So for us, uh, all of the technology that we were developing in the racing segment uh, and in R&D for other clients, um, we wanted to use it for something that has much more impact and the impact that we saw is in a public transportation. Um, And we definitely noticed uh, that in emerging markets, um, Nobody is really paying attention to what is happening, and a lot of pollution is actually happening over there. So we started the project in Philippines in 2017, um, because there are 300,000 of jeepneys, uh, small minibuses driving in Philippines that are polluting heavily. Uh, for most of the people, this is the main way of transportation in Philippines. And government didn't have a solution what to do and how to transfer all of those buses to electric. And if uh, they would buy um, completely new buses, it would be really expensive. And also all of the jeepney manufacturers in Philippines um, they would shut down, so that was not the, definitely a solution. And here is where we came in, and we offered a solution of electric kit uh, that can be used for conversion of those jeepneys. At the end, project developed a bit further, and we actually developed the full full platform for those. Um, minibuses, uh, and even, you know, offering to our clients if they wanted the the full bus to be produced and delivered to them. At the end, that was a showcase of a business model that could be actually copied in many other countries. So we started something similar in Peru, uh, where, where we also delivered platforms, and then the local bus manufacturer is building body and interiors on top. Uh, and selling those buses that are being produced locally. Although the tech part and the platform part is coming from QE. And uh, we even noticed that, uh, although we didn't consider at the beginning, for example, Europe as our market, but at the end we noticed there is really a need for similar product uh, from European companies or some Western companies. Uh, For example, we are discussing some of the projects for conversion of school buses in U.S., Um, So there is really a, a huge need for those kind of solutions that were not existing on the market and this is where we want to push so not offering the full bus uh, but also keeping you know um, companies that are producing buses and offering them the technology where they can build and I think this is something similar what uh, MIH is doing with a platform for uh, cars Um, and basically maybe there could be opportunities to work in the future uh, for the bus platforms.
0: (laughs) It's a, it's a very good segue. Thanks, Monica. So, so Jack, the MIH Alliance plans to become the Android of EVs, as you said before, and use Foxconn's manufacturing capabilities to help establish uh, established and vehicle startups electrify. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the economic model and the supply chain efficiencies behind that um, that will make this a better option than doing manufacturing in-house, much like Foxconn has done with
2: electronics at large? Okay. Thank you, Vitaly, and thank you, Monica, for mentioning M.I.H. to give me a good start. Um, M.I.H. itself stands for uh, Mobility in Harmony, and a lot of people say, "Well, you can make it, like make it happen." Yeah, FastCon is the company backing up uh, big time that we are doing uh, an open platform, meaning that you have a platform of M.I.H. that is also offering to uh, the developer to do something like Android uh, on the system of the phone and you actually do it on the EV. You can really also look at the Costco uh, model, you know, the 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 marketing of doing a lot of things and you put it on a platform and people can put their uh, services and developing uh, into uh, something like you know, uh, a platform that you can offer to all different uh, user experience. Uh, particularly in the MIH for the last seven, eight months, when we started this, this journey, we have uh, uh, collect almost eighteen hundreds of partners. They are interested in doing with our current structure, the working group and also technical committee that we bring everybody together and. Uh, creating a a module and solution rather than just a component business. So we bring them to the end customer, the brand, and we can offer different configuration. If you're uh, asking for counter manufacturing, we can offering only uh, 100% uh, ready EV for you and you just put the nomenclature on, or you do 80%, 80%, you can leave the uh, digital carpets to yourself. We do everything underneath and we offer it to you uh, with also the body, the, all the specification you require. Or the least, but not the, uh, the, the last, not the least, is the uh, skateboard. If you only want a skateboard and it won't produce for your uh, national pride, you want to put your body on, you want to do everything. We can also uh, just provide you with the skateboard. So different configuration and bringing the different partner be able to develop something that is really connected to the user, particularly on the software side, to define the hardware. That uh, is something that MIH is now promoting. Uh, With that, I think we get a lot of talents now because it's an open platform. We're becoming an enjoyer of the EV rather than other player. Everybody's closing their loop. They do it themselves and spend mega money on the development cost. Eventually, it will bring the barrier a lot higher. We are providing a lower barrier uh, entrance. So anybody, including the tech company, they can become a manufacturer or the The provider of the EV for their brands. So this is a new concept. I think everybody is trying to think whether we have a chance to becoming the enjoyer of the EV. And I do believe this is going to be a mission that we can accomplish.
0: Very good. Well, let's let's talk about the exciting world of racing. Uh, Racing has always been very important to the automotive industry. There's a saying called "race on Sunday, sell on Monday." Uh, Now, for EV in this this whole new world. It offers uh, yet a new way to do R&D. Uh, Monica, maybe you can start talk a little bit about um, how exactly R&D gets transferred from racing into other vehicles, and why is it particularly important for EV racing um, or EV right now?
1: We always like to say from race to road. Uh, racing has always been part of a DNA of QEV. And uh, I would say that we are actually at the moment leader when it comes to electric racing. We are actually involved in all of the electric racing series that exist at the moment. Uh, in some of those electric racing series, we are just uh, you know, acting as a support team for development of new technologies. And in some of those like uh, uh, ERX uh, Rallycross championship, we are producing all of the cars and organizing the whole championship. And uh, we consider that racing, especially with electric cars, when you consider, for example, Formula E. In Formula E, um, you have all of the same bodies, uh, but teams are able to change certain parts of technology for every season. And this really allows to all of the manufacturers that join to develop new technologies that could easily be applied then later on in the cars that go to road. And for us, this was really a a platform to develop new technologies that at the end are applied even in the mass market products like buses. Maybe you would say it doesn't make sense. You know, you're developing something that is high performance, but with engineers that are um, working uh, with crazy deadlines uh, have to be creative, especially for example, with us, we were always a team that has had like smallest budget so we had to figure out we had to be really creative and this is i think where the best ideas are coming from that can really be applied in the mass market products
0: and jack you were also involved uh, through neo's formula e team you're also involved in racing um, about the same time that QEV was so what experiences did did you take from that
2: I was surprised, uh, Vitaly. I was told by Monica. He, she was there in Beijing for the first, uh, racing. Uh, and I was there to, uh, just promote our, uh, neo Formula E team. At that time, we call ourselves Next EV. Uh, the Next EV team actually, uh, hired, uh, you know, Nelson Piquet Jr. as our first champion, uh, championship winner. So we set our goal, uh, Everything uh, we started with the brand, we need to be in the racing, uh, just like Ferrari, right? So you got Neo in the uh, first year, our goal is to get the championship of the racing. We got that. And then the second year we go with the supercar, which is the EP9. Uh, We have this 1,000 kilowatt, which is about 1,360 horsepower of animal uh, driving on the racing track uh, and then gain a lot of attention. So actually we launched that in 2016 in London London, and was a success. And 2017 would be our first EV, uh, EV and then 2018, we go to the IPO, as you mentioned. So we set the goal very clearly and it's all about building the brand, including the IPO. You expose yourself and you make sure that everybody understand where you're coming from, the racing track to the reality of the mobility world. Everything went through the severe uh, environment, will becoming more available and also applicable to the real world situation. So I think we still have that passion, and not only about the rock and roll, okay? it's It's about you have really something you love and you like, and you can turn that into reality.
1: And I need to point out one thing, uh, at, uh, the first season of the Formula E, uh, the Next TV team, the, the team principal was Adrian Campos, uh, our partner, and actually also our CEO, John O'Roos was behind, uh, running it. So we are really proud that, uh, Next TV later on NIO won the first season championship with Nelson Piquet.
2: Yeah. See, when we talk about all this, we all get excited, right? Uh, So I think you should talk about this more. And in particular, we have all this uh, uh, celebrity and all everybody, the young boys are coming, young girls, uh, everybody dancing. So it's a different world. Yeah, we'll see if if, uh, Formula E takes over Formula One at some point in in the near future.
0: When companies start to catch fire and blitz scale and look for capital to fuel that growth or look to find the right exit strategy, they often seek the counsel of investment bankers. At DrakeStar Partners, we work with some of the leading companies in global tech on capital raises, M&A, corporate carve-outs, SPACs, and much more. And we're pretty good at it. Our team of over 100 technology sector experts across nine offices in six countries is comprised of not only career bankers, but experienced executive venture investors and technologists. DrakeStar Star Partners is the number one ranked and fastest growing mid-market investment bank across U.S. and Europe. While I focus on mobility and energy transition sector, along with all things Silicon Valley, my partners from the Pacific to the Atlantic and around the world lead in software, media, communications, and everything in between. Learn more about us at drakestar.com. There has always been a bit of a tug of war between established car companies and the EVs. It was us versus them. And now the tables have turned and the situation has changed. Um, what kind of a role can established industry stakeholders play in the transition? And how can they support these companies? What what type of investments should they be thinking about and making uh, the big corporates and looking to the future
2: now that EV is inevitable? Maybe, Jack, uh, you can start on your side. Okay, um, I think that there's a lot of uh, movement. That we believe that uh, the traditional guys are also doing. They're embracing the new uh, new company. They even acquire the new company. Some uh, new company guys are also moving forwards with cooperation with the uh, you know mainstream OEM. So. Uh, The investment coming into it is really uh, huge right now. Um, I believe that also the technology giant, um, you name it in California where you stay right now, Vitaly, everybody is moving toward uh, making sure that they are part of this uh, uh, autonomous drive world or even mobility world, Um, and then, and it's all about also how do you get the chips available as you mentioned just before the supply chain issue of the chips really how do you make your brand uh you know uh is available to drive this future mobility and i believe that the, uh the investment will be threefold. one is in the software Uh, second in the electrical uh, architecture, and then the last but not the least is the chips. So these investments will come in big time and then bring everybody together. Rather than OEM uh, competing with the new startup and then trying to kill each other, it's a bigger pie now we're creating. I think everybody can be part of it, and then the three areas that I mentioned, it would be a worthwhile
1: investment. I completely agree with you. And I think we will see more and more uh, mergers happening with big players and uh, new startups coming on the scene. Um, It will be even, I think, mergers uh, between OEMs and some tech companies that are not strictly related to the automotive segment, uh, since a lot of uh, all of the new vehicles are going to be Connected, uh, and we will experience this uh, connectivity user experience that will become really important. Uh, cars are not going to be just cars. They are going to be also like our phones right now. So uh, due to that, I think that more and more mergers are going to happen between uh, small startup companies and big OEMs.
0: Now, uh, here's a fun question. Uh, who do you think will be the biggest car makers, let's say, in 10 years? Do you think it's going to be the established brands that we know or some of the recent or uh, startups or even companies that we've never heard of
2: before that haven't been founded yet? What do you think, Jack? Well, 20 years ago, you never heard about Tesla, right? And now they are the biggest in valuation. Even though the volume is not big enough, so who knows? Another ten or twenty years, who's going to be the biggest one? Uh, but I wouldn't say uh, a, a one that uh, without anything that being merged or as what Monica said, people are trying to uh, trying to be joint venture together. Um, I I have that experience uh, in the automotive for forty years. It's been always changing, but there are names that are never fading away. So I. I I think that uh, if you want to do a new animals, uh, like, you know, what we had just uh, seen is like the big company be supported by different continents, Uh, Europe, US, China. Each continent would probably have one or two and becoming the the leading uh, sheep. And then uh, there's a lot of uh, new startup also going to, this is uh, a new world. Everybody is going to create new stuff. Uh, It will be very exciting. Absolutely. Monica, your thoughts?
1: I I really believe that um, we are going to experience probably, you know, some of the startups uh, uh, taking the lead, but also uh, big OEMs, um, you have smart management over there. They're going to adopt. And they are already adapting. Uh, It is also um, a change that is going to happen not not with electric cars itself but with the autonomy that we are experiencing with the mobility and the way how we use the cars. So I really consider that uh, maybe you're going to have some of the old OEMs not adapting properly and not surviving but I think most of them will survive and in a way with a merger or joint venture with somebody they are going to succeed and reshape their business models. And also this was a really good opportunity because um, you would not have startups in the automotive industry if there was no start in the electric vehicles because electric vehicles allowed everybody to start from the ground zero and that's why all of the uh newcomers in the automotive industry were possible at this moment in the history.
0: Okay. Now, speaking of autonomy, it seems to be finally somewhere over the horizon. And how do you think car ownership and transportation will change in general? And how long do you think the transition will take to true autonomy?
2: It's uh, hard to say, uh, Vitaly, but um, people are saying five years, people saying three years, uh, seven or seven years. But uh, it's gonna come uh, within this decade. Uh, I believe that uh, because of um, this new mobility world, uh, people will try to uh, leverage the the shared riding and also um, to be able to use that as a convenience for their uh, day-to-day work. But in the ownership of the car, Uh, people are also seeing in the weekend they want to go out they want to have their own mobility transportation rather than riding on a uber or dd so there's a lot of things that i think the uh, the adas would do to the uh, new mobility world Uh, but if you ask me the specific years i don't uh, have that number, but uh, if you ask me whether it's gonna come coming, it definitely it's coming. Just like five, six years ago, I know EV is coming and people say, are you crazy? Are you, this, is, this is not gonna work, but hey, it's here. So it's gonna happen. So we're gonna make it happen.
1: I think autonomy will um, happen gradually. Uh, Probably it will first happen that, you know, you have closed cities, uh, city centers, and then, you know, you have only autonomous cars driving over there. Um, I believe that to to really experience this full autonomy and uh, seeing it happening in many different areas of the world, we will need at least 10 years. Um, I'm not really optimistic that it it can happen in a shorter time, Uh, but those are just predictions. And I really believe that polarization is going to happen. With the young generation, you see that um, a lot of people don't want to uh, even get the driving license. Uh, it's not fun for them. Of course, you're always going to have people that love driving, that enjoy it. And even with the young generations, you have people that are passionate about racing and passionate about cars. So I believe that people will want to have cars. Probably, you know... Um, more or less the cars that you want to drive are going to be some kind of sports cars or some kind of cars that you really enjoy, some historic cars. So they're always going to be fans of driving and uh, for the most of the people, autonomous is going to be solution. Um, I, I look at it from my perspective, um, I like driving, but I don't like to stand uh, in, in, you know, a crowd and, you know, you're you're uh, driving like uh, two kilometers per hour and then stopping on the stoplight. So for that, I prefer to be in an autonomous car and read a book, answer my emails. But uh, uh, for Sunday and driving, I, I don't know, in, around the hills in Croatia or on Croatian seaside, I would prefer to do it in my own car.
2: That's why I say on Saturday, you're going to still own the car. And then on the weekday, Monday through Friday, you will enjoy the DV or Uber.
0: Much like horses, uh, cars will become uh, something just for leisure. Manual yeah. cars, or I guess we'll call them non-autonomous cars.
2: Yeah. But horses is autonomous if you train them right, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I want to do a quick lightning round. Um, I have a few
0: quick topics that I would love your your responses to. Uh, very short, you know, uh, how long you think it's going to take and how important you think it is. Um, so we'll start So maybe go Jack, Monica. So um, starting with Jack, solid-state
2: batteries. All right. You you hit the right stuff. Oh, it's coming in the next two, three years. <laughs> and how important is I- it? <laughs> oh, it's so important. you got to hit uh, uh, one charge if you're going to go uh, 800 kilometers of mileage. you got to have solid state. <laughs> Monica, your thoughts?
1: So definitely solid, but I'm also not sure, you know, will maybe uh, graphene be a uh, next big thing. So I think that we are going to experience um, not maybe in the nearest future, but in the next 10 years, we are going to experience uh, some more improvements in the battery segment. And uh, beside the solid state, maybe it will be graphene or maybe something else.
2: Okay, fast charging. Fast charging uh, is good to have, uh, but uh, most of the people now, if they can get a cup of coffee and then get it all done, fantastic. If not, put it at home. You don't drive over 100 kilometers. 80% of people don't drive over 100 kilometers per day. Uh, so, well, nice to have.
1: I think with fast charging, we are almost already there. Um, for you know what we need, a fast charging to, to drink a coffee and charge your car, it's here. So, great opportunity, but as Jack said, you can charge your car at home.
0: Okay, uh, and is battery swap even relevant, a relevant idea anymore? You're
2: right. talking about my baby, uh, Vitaly. Uh, battery swap, <laughs> uh, we learned from the better place uh, story before. Um, battery swap uh, help, uh, you know, sell more cars. It's a unique selling point. And then also, it's, people buying it is not just because of convenience of uh, within three minutes, you can swap the battery. It's, wow, it's so cool. And people go there and then experience that uh, merchandising model. And also, you also can uh, sell the the electricity back to uh, the swapper. So you actually, if you are 80% charger, when you drive over there, you can sell the 50% of your capacity to, uh, you know, the swap station and gain the credit points. So this is cool. and I think that's something that you can help selling more car.
1: I think it is a cool point from the marketing perspective, but I'm not sure with the improvement in the battery cells, um, will it be so attractive in the future?
0: I think uh, GoGoRo is the only one that's done it at scale, really, up to
2: this yeah. point. Yeah. Now,
0: yeah.
2: Um, hydrogen. It's hard to build a hydrogen uh, station uh, as huge investment, You need government, uh, huge support. And uh, um, compared to the BEV, um, if hydrogen operating cost is competitive, that's going to come in as a parallel competitor to the uh, pure electrical. But uh, at the moment, I didn't see it flying yet.
1: In my opinion, hydrogen is future for big trucks, heavy-duty machines. And uh, for those kind of applications, we are at the moment developing hydrogen platforms. Uh, And it will be much easier because you don't have to provide, you know, charging infrastructure on many different places. So since it's really for a specific niche, uh, I think it's going to work.
0: Very good. Now, related to that, um, maybe, air taxis. Uh, the
2: electric VTOLs. Wow, well, you're going to fly, right? So it's good to have a taxi, but uh, there's more space up there so you can uh, try to allocate uh, the mobility world. But uh depends on regulation, whether the, we are open sky. Monica?
1: In my opinion, there is a, a long way to go there. Um, a lot of different regulation changes, um, also a lot of improvements on the technology side, especially in the battery segment. So uh, this is not something that is so close.
0: Uh, True autonomy,
2: when and how important? Starting from your uh, garage parking. And uh, uh, if you think that's a true autonomy, I think you can get it down pretty quickly in two, three years. If you have all the big data of the garage space of the world, you you manage, you go there and you drop your car at the entrance and you park itself. But if you are going to talk about true autonomy globally, everywhere in the world, huge, huge complexity, you see, as I said, maybe within the decade we can see some uh, light in the tunnel. Uh, it's going to take a lot of complexity and challenges. Absolutely. Michael?
1: I agree completely. Ten years at least to see it on larger scale. Uh, and importance, I think probably the most important, because it's going to reshape the whole industry completely.
0: So you're saying I'm still going to have to uh, give my daughter a keys to a car to drive? Well, very good. So I have one last question from from myself. Uh, When we come back together in five years for our reunion talk of this one, um, Jack, what will be your job?
2: Oh, I'll be enjoying every moment that uh, I'm still doing this uh, so-called mobility job. Every five years, you see I'm doing something new. And I want to enjoy every moment that I have with the new generation. I think there's a lot of things that we can explore and help inspiring the next. So another mobility job, uh, but it's gonna be the same thing, helping the next generation. Very nice, Monica.
1: So my goal is to really make a difference and uh, change life of many people uh, like for example what we are doing right now in Philippines um, I learned quite early if you want to grow uh, you need to uh, not only learn but really change yourself and I'm ready to change myself Uh, so maybe at this moment, I cannot tell you exactly the role that I'm going to hold in five years, uh, but I'm definitely going to pursue my goals.
0: Very nice. So with that, I'm going to switch over to questions from our audience and I will start one, uh, to Jack. We saw that Foxconn recently announced a mobility fund with one of the major financing holding companies. Is it a plan, um, for Foxconn to invest in the mobility space?
2: Well, I think that uh, is a great question that um, the m i h uh, consortium is actually forming the working group and we are trying to build uh, a solution for the EVs world. Um, with this working group, I think they will be creating some unicorn uh, for sure. And we would uh, ask also this fund to invest on those unicorns to get them grow. So it's like an incubation uh, and make sure that uh, we have the new startup available, diamond in the rough, we pick it up, and then we grow them.
0: And and can you talk about the business model? There's another question of MIH. Is it nonprofit, for-profit, and what's Foxconn's role going
2: forward in it? Well, the consulting is a nonprofit. We were trying to organize this working group and also technical committee and make sure that people uh, gather their best talent, developers, and doing something with the new IP. And that IP will be then the share. And we're asking uh, our founding member at FOSCOM or whoever the new OEM they are interested in coming to it as and go to market uh, capacity. So with that, I think our new technology, when we develop it as a solution, we will provide it to uh, the FOSSCOM of the world or the new founding member of the world and make sure they have the marketplace they can play with.
0: Now, uh, Monica, a question for you. Um, can you share a bit of advice for startups trying to secure partnerships and funding from big corporations? It was very impressive what you built with Porsche, Camel and such. How did you do it? I'm sure it's a fast answer.
1: (laughs) There is no easy answer on that one. I I remember when we started and the first show that we had was Frankfurt Motor Show. And uh, we presented this fastest electric supercar from Croatia. And we had uh, engineers coming from Audi, you know, and they were really calculating, is this really possible what those guys are saying? 1000 and something horsepower supercar, electric supercar from Croatia. Um, And uh, it it was really hard Uh, when you're starting to approach those big guys, uh, it's uh, extremely hard. Uh, Also the barriers to enter the automotive industries are high, you need a lot of financing and you need the people that are going to trust that the product that you're making is something really uh, a breakthrough. So um, in my opinion, it, the most important is to create a product that you can show uh, because with the product is much easier. So finding like small financing to create a showcase and to, to really have something to present. And then a lot of networking, a lot of knocking on the doors uh, to really be able to, to even pitch your idea and present what you're doing to, to big guys.
0: Now, Jason asks, um, maybe Jack, back to you, um, when can we expect a real breakthrough in battery tech?
2: Well, there's always a breakthrough every year, as you say, that um, uh, there's a energy density increase and then trying to hit the road uh, with the new technology. And I I think that as we talk about the solid state and all the uh, graphite technology, there's, I think every two, three years, there's a upgrade. So uh, that's a a generic answer to that, but specifically what year, what day, what kind of technology, I don't have that right now. Got
0: it. Monica, any thoughts on
1: that? Somebody who comes with a breakthrough is going to be an ex-Bill Gates. So this is going to be something revolutionary. And honestly, I'm following, uh, as Jack said, uh, every year you have something new, uh, some new companies coming coming out, but nothing was at the point to really be on a mass market level and to really be able to produce in larger volumes.
0: Okay, Monica, uh, you mentioned this before. Uh, this question comes from Robert, Robert Brown. Uh, Norway is often used as an example of successful mode of electrification, but the U.S. is not Norway. For countries which have a fragmented, uh, po- fragmented political views, uh, different views on electrification and climate change, and enormous connections to the fossil fuel industry, um, what can EV companies do to leapfrog the slow pace of change and, um, and drive organic motivation in the market to switch to electrification?
1: I think they need to have more people trying the car. Um I, I know that from the fact that, for example, when we started in Remak with electric hypercar, um, it was really tough. It was tough to sell the car because a lot of people were, am I going to buy a supercar that doesn't have sound? Um, and when they sit in the car, when they experience a the torque vectoring, when they experience acceleration, uh, they are so... Um, overwhelmed with uh, um, different inputs from the car than they are used to, that they really forget about this, like, okay, uh, I'm missing the sound. They don't miss the sound. They like the experience. It's something new. Uh, It's something exciting. And I think that's really important for all of the players that are producing electric vehicles more and more people needs to try them because when they try electric cars, they love it. Uh, all of the electric cars have this acceleration that is much better than any gas-powered car that you have. So this is the key um, if we are not taking account of the government policies.
2: Well, the best way to do the test drive uh, is to do the sales of uh, EV EVs, do the test drive. As uh, Every three test drive, you get one customer. That's amazing,
0: that's much better than than typical now, uh Jack, for you, a question from Daniel. He's formerly from GoGo row. um I think he asked a question that uh, has some insight. How do you ensure good integration between the m i h skateboard platform
2: and customer vehicles? okay, um the skateboard itself is easier uh, simpler and is very clean and um by the way, it's open so We have no black box. Uh, We open up to the developers and then uh, the developers put everything on it. And also the corporation will be becoming uh, so transparent. So you don't block with all this development costs hiding in behind. Everybody can try their best and then uh, get the best uh, cost structure and also the qualities uh, elements of it. So so I think that's a, a very, very open question and also is an open answer. Got it.
0: Monica, one for you. Um, you are an international advisor for EV Dynamics. Can you share a bit more about your experience working with Asian corporates, any particular big plans coming up in Asia?
1: Um, definitely, EV Dynamics is planning to completely internationalize they, their business. Before, companies was mostly focused on selling buses uh, in Chinese market, and now the goal is to really spread around the world. Um, also, there is a, a cooperation with QEV Technologies, uh, and uh, EV Dynamics is actually our manufacturing partner for all of the platforms that we are producing around the world. Um, And uh, I consider that companies uh, from Asia that are internationalizing their business model and changing a bit uh, are going to have a huge impact uh, in the future.
0: Uh, James is asking. Uh, James from Penn Engineering is asking how companies. Um, I'll, I'll try to generalize the question. How companies can get
2: uh, to be part of the Mih supply chain ecosystem? Well, join the uh, uh, Mih uh, member, and then uh, when you register, we will start to evaluate and see whether you can be qualified in a working group and also. If you're a contribution uh, member, that means you will be actively participating in all the technical discussion. Uh, We'll make it part of the family. And then we want to also make sure we can create a solution for the the end customer.
0: And a question from Jesse, uh, maybe for both of you. Um, With with all the uh, global pressures and the political changes, do you think that EV supply chains are going to get more localized and, and kind of reverse from the uh, global supply chain that we've seen in the past couple of decades? Monica,
2: you want to go first?
1: I think that's uh, that would be really hard to to localize, uh, uh, especially when it comes to, for example, uh, battery cell production. Uh, Do you really think think that, you know, uh, battery cells are going to be produced uh, locally in different countries? Um, I don't see that happening. Uh, So in general, I would say at least for the key components, we would not experience localization of the product.
2: Well, I would... uh, uh think a hub and spoke kind of a approach will be happening with the hub that you got the r and d the development and also the key component will be centralized and then with the arm to the hub uh, that every spoke uh, if you are creating in us or in china or in europe for those things and you put it assembled together and proximity to your customer so uh, I think still there are ways of restructuring the supply chain, particularly when the battery and also for the motor and, and then, and so on and so on. Um, definitely chips is another thing. You won't be able to provide the chips manufacturing everywhere in the world. You need a central hub to do the chips and then you supply it to the uh, different locations.
0: Now uh, somewhat related to that um there is some consolidation in the IC market over the last few years do you have fear that somebody manages to quarter the automotive IC market and there'll be more problems like we experienced today with uh with uh, chips
2: well today's uh, problem is more with the uh the mainstream chips rather than the high tech the 5nm or 7nm um, the uh, evolution to the new world of mobility. And I think there will be capacity built for the world in the next two, three years. And then we'll make sure that we're ready for, because we have more visibility now for the future world. Uh, now we can really build the capacity around the world and make sure that we don't have the same issue as of today.
0: Mark, any thoughts on that?
1: Agree completely
0: now um there are other opportunities besides hardware this is a question from venkat i'm going to try to paraphrase it um and generalize it for you uh, what are the other opportunities besides uh building hardware you know is are there opportunities in building software components new sensors uh new lighting you know different components that can be an interesting business in in being a
2: supplier in in the new world of evs definitely this is Um, the new technology is going to be all becoming how to work together. Just like after pandemic, people know if country and country, they don't work together, you don't have a chance to fight with those virus. Uh, So if you're working together, like the lighting and sensor component supplier uh, becoming a partner, and then you can really provide a smart corner rather than just lighting or sensor as is the light with the sensor in the corner, and then we call it smart corner, and make sure we have the total solution, a 360-degree visibility of the vehicle, and then make sure the technology are taking care of visual and also our touch and feel. So these are the things that I think there are uh, a lot of uh, working together to be done.
1: And I would point out that uh, software is definitely the key when it comes to electric vehicles. Uh, Maybe even more important than the hardware itself.
0: Very good. Now, uh, Jeff, probably to you, uh, Jules asks, EV and smart mobility in Taiwan, how far off are we? Who is going to be leading this? And what is it going to look like? What will be the benefits? Uh, Leading what? Uh, Leading the industry?
2: Leading the industry of smart mobility in Taiwan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, I can't I can't say anybody, but I think we are moving uh, in a fast way that like we we want the speed to happen. So as we told you that uh, uh, we established MIH just for the last seven, eight months, and it's becoming huge. Uh, we want not only for Taiwan, we want to do it for the world. So start from Taiwan, impress the world, and make sure that we have the continents all buying into it, an open platform, forming a new Android of the EV, and make sure everybody is jumping into it and develop it for, we want to get the world's talents to do that. Everybody can uh, do that, and particularly with the software work from home, we can get all the talent working on those things for the EV world.
0: Now, uh, Giovanni asks, um do you think that the acceptance of evs is already there uh, from uh, from consumers is there anything else that the car companies can do to create more motivation <laughs> considering that they're still more expensive than internal combustion cars
2: monica you want to do that
1: i think we already answered partially so what companies can do are test rides a lot of them uh, and i consider that more and more people really want electric cars. Now it's just a question: how many can afford at this point those electric cars?
0: I think Elon Musk said once, uh, when he was talking about demand for Model 3, that um, just people physically don't have the money in their in their wallets to. They want the cars, but they they don't they couldn't afford them. Um, now. Uh, automotive companies like Tesla, like Neo, have been leading the charge on charging. And uh, do you think we're getting to a point? This is a question from Peter uh, from Ypro. Uh, are we getting to a point where the market conditions are right for energy companies to take the lead in building the infrastructure now?
2: Well, I think we're in the uh, the early stage of get, engaging the the grid, uh, the power grids, and the, uh, we started to have the concept of doing the solar city for uh, different countries. So um, the industry leaders, uh, particular um, with the charging and also the, uh, the National grids uh, Corporation, uh, we will be able to do an energy storage company or energy storage system for a different country and make sure we leverage the best green energy uh, and with the big data, uh, make it a splash. That's, that's also very good for the next generation because we will see a lot of carbon index being identified and then make sure that everybody contributes to
1: it. And I would like to point out that um, um, companies uh, that are you know, producing electricity they are sometimes the one to push uh, for electric mobility. So we have a case uh, in Peru uh, where company uh, that is main supplier for the electricity was actually the one to first push for uh, two electric buses being produced with our platforms uh, in the local, com- local bus company um, because they see that they need to build the charging infrastructure in the future, and they need to make also this push to electric vehicles.
0: Very good. Now, um, here's a couple of fun questions as we're nearing the end here. Uh, Do you think that Tesla will be uh, the EV company with the highest market cap five years from now? If not, who and what type of company will it be? Jack?
2: (laughs) You're... You are saying that it's a fun question. I think it's a serious question that everybody want to be on the top, but uh, now who knows, uh, Tesla's on the top of variation. In five years time, it could be even higher because if their volume hit uh, 10 million, guess how huge it's gonna be. But uh, nobody's gonna be taking the whole pie. Uh, we are actually competing each other and we are creating more Uh, visibility of the world that can do the EV. I believe that uh, there will be two, three new uh, conglomerate more to come uh, and competing with Tesla.
1: If I knew the answer, uh, I would probably uh, be trading stocks uh, uh, not working in the automotive industry. (laughs) It's my job. (laughs) But I agree agree with you, Jack. Uh, I think there will be more companies on the top, not only Tesla.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, last question, and it's a great way, I think, to wrap up um, to both of you. If you were to have a follow-up call after this, uh, what would be a great starting point to have some actionable
2: collaboration next? If we have a follow-up call, we want you to join the MIH and then be part of the family. Let's do something together and make it happen. That's it.
1: I agree completely. So I think that we can be a client for MH because uh, we are constantly looking for platforms for our clients who want to develop, for example, electric SUVs, but there is too high investment to develop platform on their own. Uh, and on another side, uh, maybe we could potentially collaborate with the uh, electric bus platforms that we are developing. And for the future, MIH uh, could supply even uh, uh, bus platforms, not only uh, platforms for cars. You got it.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I think, I think there's at least one deal that's going to come from this event. You just listened to a special bonus episode of Accelerator recorded in August of 2021 with Monica Mikatz, Chief Business Officer of QEV Tech, and Jack Chang, CEO of the Foxconn MIH Alliance. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give it five stars on your favorite podcast platform and share with your friends. See you in the next one. And in the meantime, you can always find me at golem.net.